When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Good to have you with us here on the GM Shuffle. Got a special guest today, Eric Gleitry. He's got a book called Risk, Reward, Repeat. It fits in with a lot of the things that Mike and I talk about in terms of leadership and business. So look forward to that. Plus, we'll continue our look at different divisions, the NFC West. And of course, I'm not sleeping on the biggest story, which is the trailer for The Many Saints of Newark, the Sopranos prequel, which is coming on October 1st in theaters and on HBO Max. The trailer just came out this week. Can I tell you how many tweets came at me and Mike saying, all right, what'd you guys think? What'd you guys think? We'll tell you what we think coming up. I want to know, AD, how many times did you watch the trailer? <laughs> I've watched it three so far, which I feel like is, is under what I should have watched. But I'm going to keep watching it every day, so I'll, I'll get my numbers up. You? Uh, you know, I would say probably a good 10, you know, <laughs> I, I, I just trying to figure it all out, you know, just trying to figure it all out. I don't know. I've been stuck on that. And between that, making trades for the trade machine for the 76ers and trying to secure Springsteen tickets. My uh, writing is suffering a little bit in terms of focus and concentration, <laughs> you, you know, because that goddamn Springsteen concert, I mean, every day I'm on that StubHub. I mean, I'm ready to buy them. And then I go to check out and there's $200 fees for service. Like, does it really? And they're sending it to you electronically. Like, I didn't realize that, that, that you know, fiber optic cable costs $200 to send it through <laughs> it. I mean, like, seriously. Don't you miss the days you could just call Ticketmaster. Here's my credit card information or god forbid actually go to somebody in person buy the tickets you miss those days yeah i mean look i'm i'm going through my rolodex i'm calling every ass i'm calling everybody i'm calling in all favors i mean tony larusso promised me at at the super bowl before we played seattle bill myself tony uh his pitching coach uh uh, Adam Schefter, Dave Duncan, he, Dave Duncan, Adam Schefter. No, it wasn't Dave Duncan. It was another guy. Anyway, so uh, it was. So we're all over there. Adam Schefter, my wife Millie, Linda was there. We're all sitting there at, at at some steakhouse, and you know we start talking about Springsteen. And so Tony's like, "Look, I promise you." I said, "Look, I, I've tried." I start. I started the sob story. Schefter can verify this story. I, I, I like. Look, I've tried. I've been backstage. You know, I've been at the. You know, I've been backstage. I, I never get to meet the guy. I never get to thank the guy. All I've ever wanted to do is just thank him. I've written him a letter to thank him. Like I feel like if I didn't hear "Born to Run," if I didn't, if it wasn't timed up perfectly, 
to cross Highway 9, then I probably would have been a baker. You know, I would have been a baker down here in Ocean City and my mother would have killed me. Not that there's anything wrong with bakers. I just want you to know that. But my point here is simply this. So like, all I want to do is thank them. Like, I'm not looking for anything other than that. I mean, I've actually been backstage. I've gotten his harmonica. I've got like, but I've never get there. And I would donate to, to the big man, Terry, I would donate to his charity every year with just the hopes of getting, you know, t- to shake his hand and kiss the ring. Anyway, long story short. So I'm, I'm, I'm crying on Tony's shoulder this night. And, and it, Tony's like, that's no big deal. I'll take care of that. If you win the game on Sunday, I'll get you backstage to see him. Great. We win the game. I'm still trying to collect. I feel like Arnold Rothstein here. I'm trying to collect. Yeah, nice. Eight men out. Great reference to the Black Sox. And right now that fits because Larusa is managing the first place Chicago White Sox. You got to go to the South Side and talk to him. I mean, seriously. Like, I mean, and all I'm now I'm trying now I'm going. I don't want to like I don't want to text Tony and say, hey, get me tickets to Bra- Springsteen on Broadway. Like, I don't want to do that. You know, and and I, I you know, I, there's friends in the music business that I've had. I don't want to like ask anybody. I just want to be able to get really good seats and sit there and just enjoy it and thank them. That's all I'm trying to do. So between that, you know, trading Simmons to every team I can or trading Embiid, you know, working the trade machine, you know, I, I've been a busy guy. Well, listen, you're now Miami Heat fans. I don't know why you're worried about the 76ers. We got to get Eric Spolstra here know, on the gym but I know, I, I, I got to do that. And oh, and I've worked on that too, by the way. I mean, I know we got to get into some football talk here, but I've worked on that too. I've been working on the Miami Heat stuff too. I, I'm, I'm dedi- <laughs> I am a dedicated fan. I can't wait till Pat Riley comes on this podcast. I, and, I got a, and I got a big face t-shirt my man Bill Berman gave me. So to honor my 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 inaugural season with the Miami Heat, I got a big face coffee t-shirt from for Jimmy Butler. So I'm ready. Like I, I mean, I may not get a lot of words on the paper, but my ass has been busy. Well, listen, it's vacation right now for a lot of people, Mike. So you're busy. Other people are lounging. You're still getting stuff done. Uh, let's dive into some football. As the Washington football team names Tanya Snyder, the co-CEO. Tanya joining her husband, Dan Snyder, in the role, making her one of just a few women CEOs in the history of the league. Snyder saying, quote, Tanya is one of the most important figures in this organization. That has only become more true over the last 18 months as her involvement has deepened. She has had a profound impact on the direction of the team. She was instrumental in our decision to evolve the brand and modernize our fan experience. Now, Washington's in the middle of a major rebrand, as we all know. We're still looking for a name, permanent name in place for the 2022 season, and still under investigation for a number of sexual harassment allegations by previous employees over a 15-year period. So attorneys from that lawsuit, Mike, they said this is a shallow attempt to show progress without making any meaningful change to the organization. It's a transparent move by Dan Snyder to try to placate the NFL and other owners. The public sees right through this. What do you think? Well, I learned a long time ago, whoever the person sleeps with has influence. Right? I mean, that's just a fact, you know? You know, even though the boss is the boss, the woman he's married to and sleeps with at night has influence over him. So if you piss her off, your your chances of surviving in an organization aren't very good because she's undefeated, just so we know that, right? So, like, I don't think this is a shallow attempt at all. I actually think this is one of Snyder's best moves because she's going to have an influence on the team no matter what. She's married to the man. You know, she's not going to sit idly by and just watch this franchise himself destruct the franchise. And by bringing a woman into the building, he brings some integrity in there and stops the men club behavior that apparently, based on this investigation of Sir Axel Hasman, 
and the allegations might have been going on. So I don't think you can just quickly dismiss this as a PR stunt. I think it looks like that on the outside. But if you give her some teeth, and she should have some teeth. I mean, she should. She should because she's going to have teeth when they go home, when they sit on their giant balcony looking over the, the you know, up on the bluff, looking over, you know, at, at the river. I mean, like, she, he don't think he's going to say, what do you think? She's gonna, he might as well be in the building and ask, what do you think? You might as well educate her on what's going on in the building. I think it's really, you know, I, I know it looks a little peculiar because when has Snyder ever done something smart? But this actually, to me, is a smart move for him. And then as long as she has teeth, as long as she can help him build the organization, because, you know, to quote Belichick's line, we've done it Daniel Snyder's way. It doesn't work. We should try to do it another way. Yeah, and if I say the name Daniel Snyder to anybody, he is synonymous with disaster. Like, he's the Titanic of NFL owners. Name backlash, sexual harassment allegations, mismanagement of players, terrible on-field performance. Like, at this point, there's nowhere to go but up. At this point, why not try Tanya Snyder? Because when Dan Snyder's running things, he's awful. Yeah, I mean, it's true. Like, I've been researching for the book, and, you know, and I I was writing about owners and coaches and I got into the and and in in part of the section of the book I started talking about the Eagles and you know the famous they threw snowballs at Santa that's what all Eagle fans are accused of when in reality you know it was the last game December 15th I think it was 2000 it was 1964 and the Eagle fans were so mad at the owner Jerry Wallman that they start and 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 uh and uh uh, the Q Herrick, the general manager, that Joe Q Herrick, the general manager, that they just started throwing snowballs in 69 at, at him because it was a disaster. And then a month later, he lost the team in, in a bankruptcy court hearing. Well, that's how owners lost their teams back in the day. But Snyder's never going to lose this team. In fact, he leveraged himself so far out because he could, because the value of the team, he could afford to do that. So you're never going to get an owner who wants to own the team to sell the team unless you actually catch him like Donald Sterling did and they force him to do it, which the league's never going to do that. So if you can't if you can't kick them out, can't you make them better? Uh, one can only hope because obviously they have struggled in terms of just their, their PR image and such. Although, listen, the team as it is, you and I have talked with the NFC, so we do think Washington's going to be a better team. Obviously, great defensive line. We'll see what they can build there with Ron Rivera, who is a coach who is well-liked and has integrity. Let's go now as we continue our look at different divisions. We now focus, Mike, on the NFC West. Kick it off first with the Seahawks. Last season at 12-4, and over-under win total now of 9.5. No pick they had in the first round. Question is, they got a new OC in Shane Waldron. So how does Russell Wilson work with him? We know there was rumors about Russell Wilson potentially being traded. But it's their defense, Mike. Their pass rush and secondary, they give up the second most passing yards in the league in 2020. They've got to shore that up if they have any chance of winning the division. I'll take the over at nine and a half, but I don't feel great about it. I like the over too. I'm with you there. I don't feel great about it either, but I do think that that Pete's smart enough to know that, you know, even though he didn't fire Ken Norton Jr., he knows he has to change what he does defensively. Look, the, the Pete Carroll system of defense is done, and Pete knows it. And it was great. It was great at one time. The evolution of it, you know, it goes back to Floyd Reese in Minnesota in 85 and Monty Kiffin and all those guys. And then it became Tampa too. Well, unless you're dominant up front, it doesn't work. 
And, you know, they don't have a dominant front. I mean, they're going to rely on Dunlap. You know, can they get something out of Alden Smith? Uh, I mean, they're going to need to formulate some kind of pass rush. And their best pass rusher and their leading sacker is Jamal Adams, who's a strong safety, who's a great blitzer. So, you know, I think they're going to have to try to play the more zone. They're going to have to do some different things and be creative. But I do think offensively, A.D., they will be better with, with Waldron. I don't think that... Brian did a bad job, but I think they need to be more play action, more of what the 49ers have done, more what the Rams do. I think that's what you're going to see. I think you're going to see Russell Wilson under center a little bit more. I think there's going to be a huge trend. And this was by Baker Mayfield last year. I think you're going to see more of a trend of guys, especially little guys, under center more to get the play action, to create plays down the field, to help out with the ability to see throws down the field. So I I think that's where we're headed. Let's go to the Rams now. Matthew Stafford, the big news there, a gigantic improvement over Jared Goff. Did not have a first-round pick. Over, under, win total at 10.5. This feels real simple to me, Mike. They improved because, obviously, Stafford is better than Goff, and you got a new defensive coordinator in Raheem Morris. I'm buying the Rams for one reason. Sean McVay. He's a great coach. He's got a better quarterback. He's a new defensive coordinator. I like the Rams to take the over. So I think when you get to these numbers, right, I think 10 and a half. So that means that you've got to win 11 games, right? So it's you've got to be 11 and 6. Yeah, 11 and 6 for me for the Rams. Is the yeah. win, right? So find six losses on the on the schedule. That That's really what you have to ask yourself. Can you find, like with Seattle, you have to find seven losses. Like, you know, you can, you know, that's not that, you know, that's, you find 10 wins, seven losses. I think when you get to these numbers, like who's going to beat them? Like for the Chiefs, the Chiefs' win total, I think is 11 or 12. I don't know what it is, but it's hard to find four losses on the Chiefs' schedule. It really is. So I go over. I think it's the same thing for the Rams. The only thing I would say about the Rams, and I think we're seeing this in the NBA playoffs, injuries. You know, Giannis gets hurt last night with a hyperextended knee. You know, Kawhi Leonard's out. Mr. Embiid had a torn meniscus. I mean, we're seeing all these injuries. If the Rams lose Whitworth at left tackle, that's a problem. Nope, Bloom's not ready to play. They don't have any, they have zero depth in their offensive line. Zero. Zero, zero, zero. If they lose any offensive linemen, they could be in trouble. We've seen it happen before. Don't tell me it won't because just ask the Kansas City Chiefs. And defensively, I think it's the same thing, but they're good. And they've got marquee players, and they've got a great system and a great coach. I like the over, but I hold my breath because I worry about how healthy they can remain. And that has been the problem with the Rams. You're right. It's very top-heavy talent. So if one of those guys gets hurt either on offense or defense, it certainly gets worrisome. The Cardinals were 8-8 eight and eight a season ago. Now, their over and their win total is at 8. They've got J.J. Watt. They've got A.J. Green. They've got Rodney Hudson. But as you've joked, Mike, if it was 2015, I'd feel great about it. But it's 2021 now. So you've got these older veterans like Watt and Green and Kyler Murray trying to go to the next step. Cliff Kingsbury's great offense, not sure about his defense. Over under win total at eight. That feels right about on the on the board for me. I, I don't know where to go with this one. It's eight and nine. And I think the problem you have, why you don't want to go, if you examine their last half of the season, the two teams that they beat, they beat Buffalo on a Hail Mary, right? And then they beat Philly and the Giants. Everyone else they lost to. And and you say, well, you know, well, Murray wasn't healthy. And I'll quote Buddy Ryan once again. The best, there is a place for the little man in football. It's just not in front of the big man. And you're going to, Mary's going to play 17 games in front of the big man. That's a fact. So can he stay healthy? 
I think that's the big question mark. Colt McCoy gets in there, you're not getting over an eight wins. And then defensively, you've got so many questions starting with their secondary. They signed Malcolm Butler. Did anybody watch Malcolm Butler play last year? I love Malcolm Butler. I owe him forever for the interception in 49. But he played like crap last year. You know, who else is going to cover? Robert Alford, he's over 30. You know, Brian Murphy, that kid they drafted in the second round of 19, has yet to come through. I worry about their secondary, and I worry about the health of their team as they are an older team. So I think that's the right number. I lean towards slightly the over, but I wouldn't be excited about it. Yeah, it feels like the right number, like you said, eight or nine. That's why they're so smart about this. 49ers last season were six and 10, just ravaged by injuries. Over under now at 10 and a half. Wow. Trey Lance, your first round pick, the quarterback in a North Dakota state. But to me, Mike, when you're injured a lot one season, I worry if that's a trend. Is that a, a poor training staff? Is it players predisposed to injury? Or is it just a one-off? Is it just bad luck? To me, that's high. I'm taking the under. Over under at 10 and a half, I'll go under in the 49ers. And I think you got question marks with where are they going defensively. I think they're going to improve defensively with the Marco Ryans. I really do. I think they're going to improve because I think they're going to be more diversified. But once again, I think Kinlaw's got to come through for him at defensive tackle. He's got to replace what they lost in Buckner. They missed that. Bosa's got to stay healthy. They've got to be able to stay healthy, and they haven't been. I do think they'll be better. Can Garoppolo stay healthy? That's the other question mark. Will he be able to stay healthy? You know, and is Trey Lance really ready to play? It sounds great in theory today. Guy played, he got through the least amount of passes in, in, in NFL history for any guy picked in the first round. I mean, you think he's going to walk right in the NFL and take it by storm? I don't think so. So, you know, I, I lean towards, I love Kyle. I think Kyle does a great job. I like that Ryan's will change what they've done. He's already admit that. I think the one thing when you play San Francisco, because they're so good in base personnel, they're so fast, they're a nightmare to match up to. Because if you play nickel against them, they'll run you out of it. If you play base against them, they'll throw you out of it and they'll create matchups. So I like them. I just worry about their health. And they cut camp practice this year because of the durability issues. It makes me worry. I'd lean over, but I probably would lay away. Wow, 10 and a half. You might lean the over. So it could be an 11 and 16, but I hear you. The durability questions remain. Great coach. There's no doubt about that. And Kyle Shanahan. Coming up next, risk, reward, repeat. We'll talk with one of the world's most successful investors on real-life lessons in hard work and leadership. Loved this book from Eric Leacher. Talks about the Pac-Man defense, Lehman Brothers, how he built an empire. It's fascinating stuff. It's next on the GM Shuffle. All right, anytime you're on the golf course, you always hear the phrase, hit it long and hit it straight. Well, as somebody who's a novice to the game of golf, a new person, I wanted to make sure I had the best equipment possible. So... As a novice golfer, I went and hit up our friends over at PXG because they have an all-new driver called the Black Ops. I mean, my man Chris over in Henderson has hooked me up with a phenomenal driver that's built to my game. My new game that doesn't really do much of anything on the course, but it has what I need in terms of the club head speed and the kind of grip that I need to go out there and be the best to my ability. I mean, this is music to ears to any golfer, whether you're a novice like myself or if you've been playing the game for decades. The PXG Black Ops driver driver is a breakthrough in driver technology. It's a complete and total victory in golf club engineering unlike anything you've ever seen before. Black Op drivers are adjustable to deliver a combined MOI of 10,000 plus for unreal forgiveness. That's just ridiculously high. So what you got to do 
Go check out the PXG Black Ops Driver. You'll be as impressed with it as I am. Learn more and get free shipping on all equipment at pxg.com slash gmshuffle and use code gmshuffle at checkout. That's pxg.com slash gmshuffle, code gmshuffle for free shipping on all equipment, pxg.com slash gmshuffle, code gmshuffle. A real pleasure now to bring in Eric Gleacher. He is the author of Risk, Reward, Repeat, How I Succeeded and How You Can Too. He has led a fascinating life. and I was kind enough to have Eric send me a copy of his book, Born Back in New York City in April of 1940, Bachelor of Arts degree from Northwestern, served as an infantry officer in the United States Marine Corps, 63 to 66, began his career at Lehman Brothers, became a partner of this company. Five years later, founded the mergers and acquisitions department of Lehman Brothers, founded his own firm, Gleacher Park. Partners, and in this fantastic book, you see lots of lessons he has learned from his time in business. Eric, let's start there just with the title, Risk, Reward, and Repeat. Why were those uh, the way you wanted to start your book and have that be the message you send across for the title of the book? Well, that's a very good question. And uh, there's hopefully a lot of meaning in the title. Um, risk is uh, something you have to take if you want to get ahead in this world. You know, my, my kind of mantra is the world belongs to the aggressive. And that's true whether you're you know, a football player that wants to play in the NFL or a guy that wants to succeed in business uh, somewhere. You know, I really believe that. So, but if you take the risk and if you're successful, uh, undoubtedly you had people uh, helping you along the way. And I think the reward part is that uh, you should reward those people. If you're, you know, the, one of the, the tenets that I have in the book uh, at the beginning, and I learned, I learned these things when I was in the Marine Corps, is you start with flawless integrity. And if you've, ta- if you've been helped along the way, you give back. And uh, in my case, it was the opportunity to get scholarships to go to Northwestern University and a fellowship to go to the University of Chicago Business School, and so I have I have given back to them consistently, going way back for years and years and years. So that's the reward part, and the repeat part is to be philanthropic and try to develop others to repeat what you've done. So, for example, uh, I started uh, I created a twenty million dollar fund at the University of Chicago Business School for veterans, for U.S. veterans. Um, And I was a veteran. I got the GI Bill. I got a fellowship that paid the rest of my expenses, and I was able to go there. Otherwise, I wouldn't have. And so the repeat is to do that, and hopefully there's going to be some of those guys, and there's 100 veterans in the University of Chicago Business School right now. Hopefully some of them are going to be successful, and they will give back. So that's risk, reward, repeat. So, Eric, you know, I love the book. Appreciate you joining us. Oftentimes, risk has to have some form of definition. You know, there's risk management, risk aversion. How did you define what risk you really wanted to take? (laughs) I think uh, a person is kind of born that way. I think that that's one of those things. uh, it's It's like in golf. You know, some of the greatest players, Tiger Woods, uh, Jordan Spieth, Ben Crenshaw, they are fantastic putters. And I, I, I believe that they're, they're born that way. 
And I think that some people are risk averse, some people are risk takers. In my case, I've been a risk taker, but I hope with good judgment. Um, and I, when, I, when I went to work, for example, out of the University of Chicago, I had, I had a lot of opportunities. You know, I, I, I was a college graduate. I was a veteran. Uh, I was young. I was 26. And I had a lot of opportunities. And I took uh, a risky one to go to Lehman Brothers in New York. I didn't know a soul in New York. I didn't have any money. I borrowed $3,000 from the student loan program in order to move. I had a wife and a kid. So that's, that's taking risk. A lot of people wouldn't have done that. A lot of people would have gone to work for the bank or the insurance company or whatever. So, you know, a lot of it's innate and a lot of it is, is, is judgment, but everybody has opportunities as they progress through life to take a chance on something. And, and I believe that uh, if you make the right choices and take a chance, you can really get ahead. It's amazing. You look at the numbers that you're talking about here, Eric. Once again, we're talking Eric Leach. The book is called Risk, Reward, Repeat. Page 229, you said, I closed a $20 billion M&A deal at the end of 2012 and resigned. What is it like for anyone listening to close a $20 billion deal? You know, the, the uh, large deals can be easier to close than small deals. And the number, you know, I was at a level in, in the business where I was working on the biggest deals at the time. Uh, by the way, Mike, you mentioned uh, that you like uh, barbarians at the gate. You should read the, the chapter in the book or the segment in the book that talks about that deal and KKR and so forth. I think you might enjoy that. But it sounds big, 20, 20 billion. It is big and the fees are big. And the, the publicity is big. If you're working on the major deals, uh, you know, the, new, the newspapers uh, cover M&A. Everybody's interested in M&A. When you, and you have periods where, where uh, M&A activity is uh, abundant. There's a lot of publicity and there's a lot of risk in that. Because if you're the guy advising on this deal and you screw up and it doesn't work, you know, you don't, you don't have any place to hide. So there's pressure. And it's like, it's like playing a sport, you know, for big chips with a lot of pressure, Tom Brady, you know, winning his seventh Super Bowl with the, with the Bucks, you know, the pressure, you know, suppose he had a horrible game, you know, and they got stomped. And that's kind of what it's like because it's the, you know, the $20 billion level of M&A is very visible and there's no place to hide. Eric, so I read that you uh, decided because of the pandemic that you felt like now was the time to write your memoirs. And having you know been in the corporate world, starting your own company, take us through how you changed your routine to write every day and come up with the book that you felt like would be something that you could give back to people. That's a really good question, and I'm pleased to discuss it. It's, it was a process with me that evolved. I had never done anything like that before, but when the lockdown hit and basically you couldn't do anything, I mean, I couldn't even go and hit golf balls for an hour, which I'd done, you know, my entire life. So I said, well, it's now or never. I have a big family. Mike, you were talking about your, your uh, daughter um, coming along. I've got six kids and I'm an only child and I never even had a cousin. And I got six kids. I got eight grandchildren. 
And I figured that they should know, they should know the story. Uh, they should, they should know where it all came from. So, uh, I sat down with my laptop and, and I started and my, my son, Jimmy is a novelist and a screenwriter. And I knew, and I'm very close to him and I knew what he did. And it's hard, you know, if you're working on your own, you basically have to have discipline. Otherwise you can procrastinate and you won't get anything done. So he has his schedule and, you know, on Thursday he cleans his house and on Friday he does something else and he's got hours allocated, but every day he sits down and writes something. So I said, what I'm going to do, I'm going to open that laptop every day and I'm going to write something. And I didn't, I didn't say I had to write 500 words. I didn't put anything on it, but I had to sit down every day and start thinking. And what I found was I got into it and I, I did much more than, you know, than I anticipated. And so the story came, but once when the way it evolved was it was interesting you know at first i thought okay i just want to explain where all this came from but when i got into it i started thinking and that and during my career i was asked and i participated in speeches teaching classes in all the major business schools in the united states uh, coast to coast. And whatever the topic was, there was a lot of them on the RJR deal. <laughs> but the, t- with the, the, end of the, the end of the presentation, the questions were always the same. You know, what did you do to succeed? And what do I have to do to succeed? And so as I was writing and putting down the tenets of, you know, how I, how I progressed, I thought that this was something worthwhile, that this, is, uh, this would be a book that through the narrative of a memoir could be a how-to book and, and you know, what, what are the characteristics you need to succeed? So it kind of changed. And so how did your daily routine from writing every day changed? You know, for me, you know, I, I've kind of had a second career. I, 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 you know, I was a barely could get through college because all I wanted to do was do football. So, you know, now that I write, I have to write every day. Have you changed your daily habits because of writing? I, I think writing every day is the greatest thing anyone can do in terms of clarity, in terms of purpose, in terms of really kind of setting the focus, which if you talk to, you know, anybody in in any business, focus is, you know, Steve Jobs' greatest strength was his focus. Belichick's greatest strength is his focus. It it, it allows you to focus. Have you still continued your writing in the morning? I haven't continued, not as disciplined as you, but I am writing something else. And so it's, it's been instilled in me, but I haven't done it on the, on the daily basis that I described. And, you know, you, you, you stimulate me. It's probably a good thing because, you know, you, you open up your laptop and, and if you don't feel like doing much, you don't have to do much, but then things happen. And, uh, and I think that's a very good point. I certainly enjoyed it when I was doing it because I got momentum, you know, when I was writing this book. And, uh, you know, it was, it was, a it was a, you know, I thought a very productive experience and I've, I've been really humbled by all the reactions that I've received from people all over the place. Some, you know, a lot of people that I know, but lots of others that I don't know. So I, I feel like I, I use the time well. 
Page 69, you tell the story here, Eric. It's in the joy of golf, about uh, golfing with Luke Donald, David Howell, a top English pro, and Samuel L. Jackson, who needs no introduction. Pulp Fiction is your favorite movie. Why is Pulp Fiction your favorite movie? It's one of my favorites. And what was it like golfing with Sam Jackson? Well, first, golfing with Sam Jackson is great because Sam Jackson's a real golfer. You know, he's, he's a guy that uh, he can break 80. Uh, he's, he's a single-digit handicap. He hits the ball. You know, he's, 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 so you're playing with a, with a golfer. You're not playing with some guy that's signing autographs in the crowd. And he, you know, he, he appreciates good golf, just like he appreciates, you know, other things in his life. And, uh, who knows? I, I just think that, uh, the dialogue in Pulp Fiction was unbelievable. How could you not like John Travolta and, and Samuel L, you know, Harvey Keitel, Uma Thurman, the characters, uh, it just, it, it just struck me, you know, and, uh, I'm eclectic in terms of my tastes and I like real, you know, the real world. And, uh, the movie, the movie just struck me. I watched it. I've watched it five or six times and, you know, I, I don't know why, but it just strikes me as being, it's a fantasy, but yet it's a lot of the real world and I got a kick out of it. You know, when I and reading and preparing for the interview, I, I know you love Shoe Dog and and you love the Ed Stark story from Dick Sporting Goods. And so, when you combine the Phil Knight story, which to me Shoe Dog is one of the best books you could read about his persistence and his ability to just keep solving problems before bankruptcy hits, and then you know Ed Stark's with Dick Sporting Sporting uh, Goods. What trait does both those gentlemen have that you feel like is propelled them to having ultimate success? Well, both of them, first of all, took a risk. Think about how they started. You know, in Shoe Dog, uh, Phil Knight was wandering around the world, you know, doing, making deals at companies in Japan. And it got off to a very slow start. Um, and secondly, now, Ed Stack's a buddy of mine, the guy that uh, has built up Dick Sporting Goods. And uh, I, so I see him all the time. We play golf. Our wives are friends. So I really know his story. And that company, that book, his father was Dick. And, 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 and Dick's Sporting Goods were two bait shops up in, somewhere up in upstate New York. I forget, Schenectady or someplace like that. And that's what he inherited from his father, two bait, bait and tackle shops. And he built that into Dick's Sporting Goods, which at the moment has, 900 stores all over all over the country, you know, and it's a huge success. But at the beginning, can you imagine? You know, and he was he was married, he had family, and he took on the two bait and tackle shops and he built it. So that that is taking risk. Secondly, like all businesses or almost all businesses, everything that Phil Knight did and Dick did, and then Ed Stack did, you couldn't be anticipated. You know, it, it, they. You start something like that, and it takes its own course. And there's a there's a segment of my book when I left Morgan Stanley and I started Gleacher and Company, and in there you can see what happened. There was it was all kinds of things that happened, none of which could be anticipated. And uh, you know that's something that uh, is part of taking risk, and also is the rewards in the cases where these businesses worked out. And of course, Nike and Dick Sporting Goods are you know. Grand Slam home runs. 
The book is called Risk, Reward, Repeat, The Timeless Formula, Be Yourself, Tell the Truth, Lead by Example, Do Your Best, Own Your Mistakes, Work Hard, Take Risks, Earn Your Success, and Pay It Forward. All the profits from the sale of this book donated for charitable purposes. Risk, Reward, Repeat from Eric Leitcher. Eric, thanks so much. Well, you guys are great. Keep keep up the good work, and I'm looking forward to listening to more of the GM Shuffle. Oh, you're a good man, Eric, and thank uh, you're you, good man. Appreciate you. Coming up. Tony Soprano is back. Yes. You know, nobody's more fired up than me and Mike. He's being played by another Gandolfini. The upcoming Sopranos prequel. The trailer is out. We'll dissect it next. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, the second round of the playoffs have been absolutely phenomenal, and if you really like a team, you can bet on them for the futures markets, maybe some conference finals MVPs as the conference finals approach, or how about NBA finals MVP? And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet five bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SHUFFLE. That's code SHUFFLE for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available. For problem gambling, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. As always, send us your mailbag questions to the GM Shuffle at gmail.com or feel free to send us a message on Instagram at the GM Shuffle. This is JD in Philadelphia. Certain teams are known for having boring drafts. Green Bay, Baltimore, Seattle, New England, Pittsburgh rarely make splashy moves. They often trade down the opposite of teams like the Rams and until recently, the Eagles. These boring teams have long-term success, yet they draw the ire of players impressed for not swinging for the fences or drafting for need. Which philosophy fits today's NFL? I think to me, the one that fits the best is when you basically have a lot of options and you don't fall in love. When you trade up in the draft, you're falling in love. You fell in love with one guy and you got to go get him. Now, you might have to do that if it's a quarterback. I mean, you can that's the only position you can risk falling in love with or perhaps a defensive lineman. But I think there has to be a, a delicate balance. I do think there are times where you need to go up to get a good player, especially when you know that you're dealing in, if you wait, you may not get that player. It all depends on your board. But I will say this. I think slow and steady always wins. Persistence always wins. You know, and you've got to be able to not overreact. And you've got to be able to say, let's solve the problems through thought, not through paying. 
And I think that's what those good teams do. They think their way through the problems and they end up coming up with good players. I mean, it's this whole notion in the NBA. If you don't have a top five pick, you can't win. You can't win. Chris Middleton's a second round pick. He's one of the best players on the Milwaukee Bucks. Second round pick was a throw in and a deal with Brandon Jennings to the Milwaukee Bucks. You know, it, it's all over the league, yet everybody keeps repeating the myth that you have to have a top five pick to get. Now, you have to have a top two pick to get a superstar, but to get a good player, you can still get one. And that's why there's uh, lots of different ways towards success. You can see why JD in Philadelphia is frustrated with the Eagles plan right now. The GM Shuffle at gmail.com. As always, you can hit us up, M Lombardi um, on Instagram and Twitter, and myself, Adnan S. Furt. All right, many saints of Newark. Uh, spine tingling, Mike. I mean, the, the amount of anticipation for this for guys like me and you, I mean, just phenomenal. Let's start first with Gandolfini. That's right. James, unfortunately, passed away years ago, but his son, Michael Gandolfini, who dead ringer for his dad in the flick. I always have a trepidation, Mike, because I go, man, it's tough to be the equal of your father because James Gandolfini is one of the all-time greats we've ever seen on the silver screen. But does his kid, kid look like him or what? I was getting chills watching it. It's really unbelievable, right? I mean, and, and I'm just trying to understand why do we have to wait so long? Like, I thought it was ready to come out this past March. It was. It was originally going to be March for some reason, six more months. Just brutal. October 1st. Are they just going to try to build up the, 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 make us all just wait and suffer through this? I mean, it's just kind of unfair. But I, I think, you know, look, it looks fabulous, right? It looks absolutely fabulous. And I can't wait to watch it. I can't wait to see who all the characters are in it. You know, who plays Sylvia Dante? Who plays Paulie? I know the guy from House of Cards uh, plays uh, Uncle Junior. And if you can't just wait to hear Uncle Junior lines. I mean, seriously, I just can't wait to hear it. But I'm excited. I mean, and it's Christopher's dad is basically the star of it, right? It's he mentors Tony on how to become a boss. Yeah, and I think what's interesting, like you said, is you go, how do you top the original? Because it's so much brilliance. But when you have some of the former characters, you know, that's, that is what's going to make it special. Like if it was none of the former characters, you go, okay, it's a completely different story. But like you said, when you've got a Dickie Moltisante, um, you know, when you've got, I mean, Dickie's being played by Alessandro Novolo, very good actor. Um, and the fact you've got Christopher Moltisante, uh, obviously, who is Chrissy. I mean, th there's that whole bloodline there. You go, okay, how much is he like his dad and blah, blah, blah. And so I think that's the key, like you said, is connecting what we love about the show and the DNA here in the prequel. The other part of it, as the trailer really shows, is the tensions between Italian-Americans and Black Americans, which culminated in the 1967 uprisings in Newark. And David Chase has said, no, no, I want to go into some different territory here. To me, I find that very fascinating, being from Jersey and the fact that these race riots occurred. So I, I think there could be really... Uh, a, a, a lot to chew on here, Mike. No doubt. And I, I mean, it's not always just going to be how Tony became king. It's going to be a little bit about this, the world that Tony lived in and the society that was happening in the 60s and what was going on in these in these towns all through the 60s and you know early 70s with the Vietnam War, racial tension. I mean, I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be tremendous. And you know, written by Chase, it's going to have that perfect kind of balance between you know the comedy and the, the, the ability to put drama in. Even though nobody would think The Sopranos is a comedy, some of the stuff they say is comedic. And the way you can learn about what's going on in the world, I think it's I'm just so excited to see it. At its apex, it was the funniest show on TV and the best drama on TV. And you can't say that about any other show. And you're right about Chase. The fact that he wrote this, it's been directed by Alan Taylor, who also worked on The Sopranos many years I think Chase will really delve into Tony's upbringing, relationship with his mother. 
I mean, it's going to be, yeah, oh, it's going to be awesome. October 1st, can't wait to see it. It'll be in theaters and on HBO Max. I know a lot of people right now are on vacation. Thanks so much for downloading and listening to the GM Shuffle. Mike, good luck with the Springsteen tickets. Text LaRusa now. Keep us posted. Thank you. I, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to wait. I'm going to keep digging. I'm, I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to give up StubHub. StubHub's not going to beat me. You know, like 200 for, like, like seriously, 200 service, service charge? One was 250. Like, seriously. You know, I'm, I'm like Uncle Junior. I'm waiting like patience on a monument for tickets to be handed out. 